Father, we come to your word and we believe that you, Holy Spirit, carried and guided along the authors of Scripture so that everything they wrote was pure and perfect and reliable and divine. We know, O Lord, that every Scripture is breathed out by you, O God. So when we read the Word and when the Word is preached, you, O God, are speaking. We pray, Lord, that you would help and that you would be our divine teacher, that you would be our divine preacher to take the Word of God written and may the Word of God spoken go deeply into our hearts that we would be changed, that we would be conformed to the image of Christ, and that you would help us to think rightly as we live in times when the wicked appear to prosper. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was during World War II that the dictator Mussolini was shot at, nearly killed on one occasion. To the utter amazement of everybody that was there and watching, he got up and recovered and he laughed it off and he said, ha, the bullet has never been made that can kill me. Or more recent, Gavin Newsom, governor of California, had a billboard promoting abortion and he quoted Mark 12, 31, love your neighbor as yourself. Or our own president, an unspeakably wicked man, took these words upon his lips when he said, Here I am, Lord, send me. We muse and we think and we ponder when the wicked seem to prosper. When the, when the wicked seem to prosper and they're defying God. They're blaspheming God and they're blaspheming the people of God. And we scratch our head and we honestly wonder, what is God doing? When is God going to destroy them? Habakkuk thought this. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, why does God allow the wicked to prosper? Or Psalm 73, we'll get there in about a year. <laughs> Psalm 73, Asaph said, I was envious when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You ever been there? You, you, you look at those who are in the world, they're living in the world, they are the prideful worldlings, and you wonder, why do they appear to prosper? And they appear to blaspheme unchecked by God. What's going on? Martin Luther grappled with that. He loved this psalm. He wrote on it quite a bit. Martin Luther said, there is not in my judgment a psalm which describes the mind of the wicked, the manners of the wicked, the works of the wicked, the feelings of the wicked, and the fate of the wicked with so much fullness and color as this psalm does. 
Martin Luther read this psalm, he studied this psalm, he commented on this psalm, and he knew that this was a needed psalm for God's people, especially when you look around and it appears as though the wicked seem to prosper. I love the Bible. I love God's word, especially the book of Psalms this time around, because the Psalms are prayers, but they're also hymns, and they're needed. You know, in in contemporary Christian music circles, you're probably not going to find a lot of songs that deal with topics like this. On contemporary Christian radio, you're not going to find hymns and songs that deal with this. But you and I need this. Because Psalm 10 is an honest psalm. Notice in verse 1, why? And then verse 1, why? And then later on, he's going to continue to cry out. He doesn't understand, verse 13, why has the wicked spurned God? Why? This is a God-given song of a godly man's cry. It's not only honest. Number two, this is needed. This is needed. Why? Because of the apparent prosperity of the unblushing and the shameless proud that you and I have all around. We've got them in the White House. We've got them in the highest levels of authority in politics and in education and even in religious realms. We have some of the most vile creatures who are leading and ruling. This is needed. What is God going to do with them? How does God respond to them? And I love this psalm because it's a real life psalm. It's real life. How are we to think? How are we to live? How are we to act when the proud man boasts? And if you and I look at verse 4, all of the proud man's thoughts are, ha, there is no God. There's no God. This is what we could call practical atheism. Nobody's an atheist. Everybody believes in a God. Romans 1, Psalm 14, make that very, very clear. Everybody believes in God. We know that. But practical atheism is when you live as if God doesn't exist, and you live as if God is bluffing when he says he's going to judge you. I am absolutely convinced that the wicked man flatters himself that omniscience doesn't see him. The wicked man flatters himself that omnipresence will not catch him. And he flatters himself that almighty omnipotence will not destroy him. What an illusion. What an illusion. So, with proud men that are haughty and culturally widespread... One, one thing we need to hear, Psalm 10 does not teach that you and I need to change the culture. We hear that a lot, even in Christian circles. Let's transform our culture. Let's transform the world. Let's, let, let's, let's make a dent in culture and society. Psalm 10 teaches us that's not our goal. 
Our goal is not to change the culture. Rather, with all of the wickedness, we need to pray. We need to beg God to intervene. And we need to affirm God alone is king. And you know what? We need to expose the evil of the wicked. We need to expose the evil of the wicked. We need to shine it forth and unashamedly say, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And I want to show you this. Psalm 10, follow with me. Starting from verse 1. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In pride, the wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him, and all of his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. But your judgments are on high, but out of his sight. As for all of his adversaries, he snorts at them. He says to himself, I will not be moved. Throughout all generations, I will not be in adversity. His mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. He sits in the lurking places of the village. In the hiding places, he kills the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the unfortunate. He lurks in a hiding place as a lion in his lair. He lurks to catch the afflicted. He catches the afflicted when he draws him into his net. He crouches. He bows down. And the unfortunate fall by his mighty ones. And he says to himself, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. Oh God, lift up your hand. Don't forget the afflicted. Why has the wicked spurned God? He has said to himself, you will not require it. But you have seen it. For you have beheld mischief and vexation to take it into your hand. The unfortunate commits himself to you. You have been the helper of the orphan, so break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. Nations have perished from his land. O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth will no longer cause terror. And then the conclusion is the heading of Psalm 11. It's for the choir director. I think Psalm 10 is often neglected. I think Psalm 10 is greatly needed. It is the prayer of the saint who is absolutely confused that the proud appear to prosper. What do you do? Follow with me as we just walk through the psalm together. Number one, God, do you hide? What I love about these opening verses 
It's just how real, how honest the psalmist is. Why, verse 1, are you afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I mean, that's honest. How often do people say, how are you doing? You know, I feel like God is far off right now. Sometimes, I don't want to say that. You don't want to say that. We don't want to come across as thinking that God is far away. Well, the psalmist isn't afraid to say that. God, why are you far off? Why do you hide yourself? It's the honest why question. Why do you hide when the wicked pursue? Why do you hide when the wicked plot? Why do you hide when the wicked blaspheme your name? If we put verses 1 to 4 together, here's the kind of environment that we would have. You ready for this? You have proud, vile rebels who are pursuing the righteous in order to kill them. And then you have the proud, the vile rebels who are plotting schemes and agendas against the godly. And then you've got the proud, vile rebels who are bragging of their own heart cravings. And you have the proud, vile rebel who spurn and knowingly disregard God and they actually believe, ha, God will never judge me. Do you think we're living in times like that? Absolutely. We're, we're 3,000 years removed from 1,000 BC when David wrote this. God, it seems like you're so far. It seems like you're hiding yourself. God, why are you hiding? Why are you hiding And maybe it's the wicked who are oppressing. Maybe it's just difficulties in life. And it seems like God is far away. A couple generations ago, Adoniram Judson, missionary to Burma, Myanmar, went on the mission field with his wife and family. His wife died to fever. After she died to fever, shortly after that, he lost his little daughter when she died. Shortly after that, Adoniram Judson, the great missionary to Burma, wrote in his diary, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in God, but I cannot find him. You ever been there? You believe in the Lord. You you, you know theology about God. You, you, you must keep believing even when it seems like you can't find him at times. God, where are you? It seems like you're hiding. It seems like you're far off. Why would you allow this? And here's what we learn from verses 1 to 4. When you don't know what God is doing, you have to rest upon who God is. When you don't know what God is doing. God, why would you do this? How could you allow this? Why are you not taking action? When we don't know what God is doing, we have to lean on who God is. Jeremiah felt like this. 
Chapter 16, verse 17, My eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. Whether it's a marriage, whether it's parenting, whether it's work-related or life duties or ministry-related or any interpersonal relationships, when God seems far away, And you scratch your head and you think, God, are you hiding from us? You must live by faith. That's verses 1 to 4. When it doesn't make sense, live by faith. Number two, in your outline. Not only God do you hide. Number two, in your outline, God do you hear. Now, real quick, before we go into this, I mean, just ponder with me if you and I, 2,000 years ago, were living across the world in Israel. And imagine if you and I lived there and you and I were eyewitnesses in the land of Israel, watching our Lord Jesus Christ be beaten. With your eyes, you watched him be illegally tried, punched, ridiculed, scourged, crucified, spit upon, mocked by all of the passers-by. I mean, at some point, you no doubt would be thinking, does God not hear what they're saying about the Son of God? Does God not hear their ridicule? Does God not hear their blasphemy? What is the life disposition of the proud, wicked rebel? Look at verse 5 in our psalm. Verse 5 says this, His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. I mean, this is the guy who just seems to prosper. He seems to have strength all the time. He seems to be the untouchable guy. You and I might say, yeah, 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 I understand that. But you've got the arrogant guy who Drives the Maserati, wears designer suits, he flies to and fro, he cruises here and there, he has all the worldly vacation spots and the worldly fun and the worldly pleasures, and and he seems to prosper all the while as he's mocking God. He seems to prosper all the while as he's blaspheming Christ and living for himself, and he's laughing at people like you and me. He's laughing at people like you and me because we don't have what he has, and we don't do what he does, and we believe in God, and he laughs at God's face. God, do you hear what's going on? He speaks in pride. The whole section is kind of glued together by three phrases. And you see it. I want to show you in verse 6, 11, and 13. He says in his heart. Verse 6. He says to himself or in his heart, I will not be moved. 
Throughout all generations, I will not be in adversity. Look at verse 11. Here's number two. He says to himself, God has forgotten. God has hidden his face. He will never see it. Or at the end of verse 13, look at the third occurrence. He has said to himself or in his heart, God will not require it. He's not going to pay me back. God's not going to judge me. Three times we have the words of the vile wicked spoken in pride. Here's what they're saying. Number one, I'm capable. Number two, I'm cool. Number three, I'm clear. Number one, I'm capable. I've got this. No problem. I'm strong. I can handle this. I won't be moved. I won't have adversity. I'm capable to do this on my own. I don't need your God. I don't need your religion. I don't need your rules. Number two, number two, I'm cool. Surely God's not going to see me. God doesn't take notice of me. God, your God, is not going to do anything to me. I'm cool. Number three, I'm clear. Your God is not going to retaliate. He's not going to repay me. He's not going to find me. He's not going to judge me. And you and I wonder, God, don't you hear what the proud man is saying? We read in verse 4 that the wicked and the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek God. And all of the thoughts of the proud man are, he just lives with the thinking, ha, there's no God. And now in verse 7 to 10, we learn about how the proud, ungodly man stealthily sneaks upon the helpless. He's like that new stealth bomber aircraft from the Air Force that's being revealed. Powerful, sneaky, undetected, dangerous. Verse 7. His mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. Verse 8, he's sitting in the lurking places of the villages. He's in the hiding places, killing the innocent. Verse 8, his eyes stealthily watch for the unfortunate. Verse 9, he lurks in a hiding place like a lion. He's lurking to catch the afflicted. He catches the afflicted when he draws him into his net. Verse 10, he crouches. The proud man bows down and the unfortunate fall by the mighty one. You know what? These proud people are after the godly. You know what? We have world elites that are after the godly today. They hate Christianity. They hate the God of the Bible. They hate the God of the truth. There are agendas. Against you and me, against Christianity, and against the gospel of Jesus Christ. I find it so interesting that when we read in verse 9, he is lurking in a hiding place like a lion in his lair. It almost sounds to me like 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober and be vigilant because your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. I mean, you and I read this and we think, Lord, don't you hear what the prideful are doing against your people? 
They, they want to hurt the helpless. Verse 10. <coughs> he crouches, he bows down, and the unfortunate are caught. You know, on one occasion in Luke chapter 12, didn't our Lord Jesus say, I have come to cast fire upon the earth. And oh, how I wish that it were already kindled. Luke twelve forty nine. Oh, Jesus, he hears. He hears. He's aware. And the lion of the tribe of Judah who hears what the proud are doing, he will find them. He will chase them. And he will undo them. So the prayers, the psalm, God, do you hide? God, do you hear? Now number three, let's come to this. God, do you, do you help? Do you help? Lord, are you going to help us? I mean, what, what is the remedy for us? We are going to be eaten alive by the proud sinners, God, if you don't help us. Look at verse 14. I want to show you something. This is so interesting. Verse 14, you have seen it, the psalmist says to God. You have beheld mischief and vexation to take it into your hand. The unfortunate commits himself to you. Unfortunate. The ESV has the helpless, commits himself to you. The NIV has the victim, commits himself to you. Another English translation has the unfortunate victim. You know what? That's what you and I need to do. The helpless commits himself to God. God, verse 12, will arise. He will arise. He will lift up his hand. He will not forget the afflicted. The unfortunate can commit himself to God, and God is the helper of the orphan and the weak. And then verse 15. I don't know if you've prayed prayers like this, but sometimes there's so much evil around you, you don't know how to pray. And what you need to do is just open the Bible and let God give you a prayer. Like verse 15. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. You think, I can't pray that, but God tells you to. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. You, you know what David is praying? God, wipe out the proud who are appearing to prosper. Let them experience divine justice to the fullest measure. I mean, boy, this psalm, this psalm, it's like the Spirit of God has drawn the full-blown portrait of sin. The mask is withdrawn. The monster of sin is dragged to light. All the hideous features are revealed. The pen of the Spirit of God can't exaggerate. The dark colors aren't too dark. The deep ingredient of the wicked heart is pride. He scorns the humble followers of the Lamb, and he wants to trample them beneath his feet. William Law said that. But can I remind you of some scriptures? 
Jeremiah 51, 56. God is a God of recompense. He will fully repay. Nahum chapter 1, verse 2. A jealous and an avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, declares the Lord. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. It is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Or Deuteronomy 32, 35. Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time, their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near. Christian, what do we do? We need to wait on God. We need to trust in our God. We need to leave it to God. And we need to pray to our God. God, deal with them. Deal with them. By the way, by the way, even for all of us in here, if there is anyone who is the proud man and his thoughts are, ha, there is no God. He's not going to judge me. I'm okay. Sinner, don't let this holy God in his wrath catch you in your unbelief. Come to him by faith. Humble yourself before the Lord. Know that he is a good and a gracious Savior to all who humble themselves. But he is a just and an inflexible executioner to all who go on in their pride. Well, then verse 16, notice how the psalm comes to a close. The Lord is king forever and ever. You know, in my prayer time this morning, I could not get past that phrase. The Lord is king forever and ever. Nobody else is king forever and ever. No other human leader can compare with this one. I mean, this is an established kingship. It is a singular kingship, unshared with anyone. It is an eternal kingship forever and ever and ever. What a God. What a God. Well, nations have perished from his land. Verse 17, I love this. Oh Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble Christian. Pray. That's the call for us to pray. He hears you. He will strengthen your heart. He will incline his ear to vindicate the weak. Why? Verse 18, get this. Look at the end of the psalm. What's the last clause of the psalm? So that man who is on the earth will no longer cause terror. You know, we got a lot of proud people who are causing a lot of trouble right now. One day, those fragile earthlings will no longer cause terror on the earth. And Christian, if I could just remind you of something, that by faith in Jesus Christ, you live, you walk every day of your life You are journeying from victory, not toward victory. 
In other words, you're journeying from victory. Why? Because Colossians 2.15 says that Jesus has already taken all of your sin and he's nailed it to the cross. All of it. And when he did that, he conquered, he disarmed, he destroyed the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Jesus has won the victory for you. You're not running to victory to try to get there. Victory's already been accomplished. It's already been done. Jesus died. He paid the full price. He did all that is required. He conquered your sin. He conquered all of the devil's minions and Satan himself. He rules, he conquers, he reigns, he's Lord. He has the victory and he alone is the king forever and ever. This is a psalm that we need. Whatever happens, whatever headlines, whatever world leaders may say or propose or whatever they might put in order, put into law, whatever they might try to purport. Christian, we can take this psalm and we can pray it and we can know however the proud appear to prosper, our God is truly the King who reigns forever and ever. Stephen Charnock is a Puritan There's a quote on the end of your outline. You can follow along with this. Stephen Charnock. There's such a good and fitting conclusion to our study. And and I think a preparation for prayer. Here's what Charnock said. God, apart from Christ, is an angry, offended sovereign. And unless we behold him in in and through Christ, the mediator the terrors of his majesty would overwhelm us. We dare not approach the Father except in Christ because of our sins. We first fasten our eyes upon Christ, then upon the Father. If Christ does not bear our guilt and reconcile us to God, we perish before any man can think to stand before the face of God's justice or be admitted to the secret chamber of God's mercy or partake of the riches of his grace, he must look to the mediator, Christ Jesus. You and I need to look to the mediator again and again and again and again. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Write your truth on our hearts. Guide our prayer time. May it be so beneficial and honest and heartfelt as we take the psalm and we take the truth of the gospel and pray together as a church family. In Jesus' name.